transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are most near thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Saint Dominic de Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Pierre Toussaint, pray for us. Father Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us. Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, whose feast day it is today, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? Well, my thoughts on the United States Bishops Conference, their, their General Assembly that was held in, in Baltimore this week, I want to give you my, my thoughts on that, my thoughts that I'm, I'm at least developing at this point. I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. And starting at the bottom of the hour, Miss Anna Githens will be back on the show to pick up where we left off last time talking about the theology of the boss body conversing about that in particular original solitude original unity and the spousal meaning of the body so we're going to be talking about that with miss anna githens coming up here shortly but before any of that begins let me remind you and tell you once again how happy i am that you're here how much i appreciate you being here and if you don't remember me um saying anything else today or even remember anything uh, anyone else said to you today remember what i'm saying here that jesus loves you that jesus is there for you and i, I was thinking if, if someone had asked me to summarize the bible right summarize the complete collection of the 73 books of the catholic bible just put those in just put that in a few words you know what would you say I think that's a, you know, maybe a realistic question. Maybe atheists might ask you that. Maybe an agnostic, someone who never even heard, right? Maybe a Muslim, right? I think we should always have a way to explain the most important thing in at least a sentence, right? Especially in the society that we live in today, you know, with uh, people with these short attention spans. So I think this is what I would say about the scriptures. That the scriptures are here to tell you one thing one thing that God chose you you and, and then I would say that the scriptures are here to ask you one thing and that one thing is will you choose him so they're asking they're telling us that he chose you and will you choose him right and I think that's something that we have to ask ourselves um daily all right that part of the um conversion journey right or as part of becoming a saint we have to ask ourselves all the time you know am i do i choose him he chose me am i choosing him right 
So that's the journey. And I know it's difficult at times, right? Because we had made so many decisions during the day. Some of them seem small. Some of them seem big. Some of them mundane. Um, every day is in a crisis situation. But every decision, every minute, we have to choose him because he chose us. So this is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Make sure you download the Guadalupe Radio Network app. So you can listen to our programming no matter where you are. And you can start off each day listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McLean and Adrian Francesca on the ones and twos. And this Friday and every Friday at 2 p.m., hop on the GRN YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter accounts. And uh, watch Back to the Father. And if you appreciate I think you'll appreciate, right? Listen to Back to the Father. I think you'll appreciate two things. First, that St. Thomas Aquinas theology, his summa, has finally become relatable to you if it hadn't been before. Also, oh, there's three things. Dave Palmer, right? He's really fun. And two, Sissel. What hat is Sissel wearing? You also, you also appreciate that. So, you know, I was at the Monday, Tuesday, and I just came back this morning. I was in Baltimore. I was there for the men's march on Monday, and then I was speaking at the Enough is Enough prayer rally that Church Militant put on. And, man, I met so many people there that that listened to this show uh, who saw me on Grace Force or saw me on my YouTube channel or saw me with uh, Church Militant on the Vortex. And, man, I was so happy. I was so happy to meet so many people and talk to so many people. And I haven't really, really collected my thoughts about everything that, that's happened or, or what I witnessed. But I think where I'm headed is in two directions. First, I remember, I remember how silly having expectations are. Right? Expectations are, they always set you up for disappointment, right? Because oftentimes expectations just aren't real. They're fantasy. They're idealistic. And very rarely are expectations reasonable. People who have a lot of expectations set themselves up for a lot of disappointments in life. People who carry around low expectations are happier in life. And people who try not to have any expectations about anything are almost always walking around with a look of surprise in their face. <laughs> surprise and wonder because they didn't expect anything, right? So they, they're always surprised by, by what came. So I, I've always tried to be the latter of my life. Try not to expect anything so that I can always be awed right, by the little things. But what I didn't know was that I had expectations for the bishops, right? And I think my expectations have been unreasonable. And you know how you can just sense when you're in the presence of someone who cares about your well-being? You know, it could be your spouse, it could be a friend, your parent, right? There's people in your life or there's been people in your in your life who you just feel safe around them. You might even feel warm. People who you know care about you, they're like a they're like a thick blanket. That's your grandma's house, right? You just, you put it on, you know, you just feel safe, right? You're gonna sleep you know you're gonna sleep well that night. You feel good. No anxiety whatsoever. And I never worried about, you know, I, I never worried about when I was at grandma's house, 
you know, because of that, she had a thick blankets. You know, but she also had a shotgun underneath for a bit. You know, and I knew how I was her priority. So the sense thing, though, is subjective, right? I think women are at it better at it than men. But when I was on the elevator at the Waterford Marriott Hotel where the bishops were staying, right? Um, and I was on the elevator with a lot of the bishops. A lot of them. Every time I got on the elevator, oftentimes, especially during the day, it was like five, six at a time. And for some reason, you know, I didn't sense, you know, that fatherly vibe. I didn't feel that pastoral vibe. You know, it just felt kind of bureaucratic. You know, just see some, a bunch of older men on their way to a meeting. They're all wearing a mask. They're telling Bishop jokes, which are a hundred percent worse than dad jokes, a hundred percent worse. And, and the Bishop's teaching document on the whole Eucharist, it passed. I think the vote count was 222 to eight. No mention of Canon 915 or Canon 916. None of that. In those specific canon laws, they forbid those who are conscious of grave sin from receiving a Holy Communion. And I do not think it was ever reasonable for us to ever hold that expectation of the bishops. I don't, I don't think that was reasonable of us. Why would we? There is no evidence over the past 20 or so years, most especially during the pontificate of Francis, that the bishops are serious about anything. So why do we have the expectation? Right? The only thing they seem to be serious about is their standing amongst their peers. So I was excited when Michael Voris, he had, a, you know, he reached out to me and wanted me to come speak at a rally because I thought while I was there in Baltimore this week that I will learn something profound. But anything that I can say about anything that I gleaned while I was there about the bishops or about the distance between the faithful and the bishops about um about the abuse narrative how abusers are empowering people are silent so it's important to make noise and push back so it was good to have a rally there you know i, I could share a few that narrative talk to you about abuse victims and the nature of abuse the psychology behind that and how we could look at our bishops as abusers and us as being developing Stockholm syndrome. But, but I think that anything I would say would only be a sprinkle on a glazed donut in comparison to what Archbishop Joseph Naum of Kansas City, Kansas, who's also the chair of the United States Catholic Conference Bishops Pro-Life Committee, stated during the debates today uh, concerning their documents on the whole, whole Eucharist. And this was reported by the publication, The Pillar. And I'll read this to you. And I quote, and it's not a long document, but, but he's quoted as saying concerning this document on the whole Eucharist, this Eucharistic coherence thing. That 
it was good to reiterate in this document what we have said before about our responsibility to have dialogue and conversations. with those who are Catholic, but who act contrary to our faith on its basic moral teaching. So he says it was good to reiterate in this document what we have said about our responsibility to have dialogue and conversations with those who are Catholic, but who act contrary to the faith on this basic moral teaching. He continues, we've said this before, but one of the reasons we need to say it again is because I am not sure, he says, he quotes, I'm quoting here, I am not sure that we've taken seriously as bishops our responsibility for the care of the souls of these politicians. I don't think we've taken seriously as bishops our responsibility for the care of the souls of these politicians to really enter into dialogue. Really? Pause. <laughs> Pause. I I'm not sure that we've taken, again, I'm not sure we've taken seriously as bishops our responsibility for the care of the souls of these politicians. I mean, full stop right there. I mean, we the faithful absolutely agree and commend you on your awareness and your clarity concerning the abdication of your duties in this regard. Congratulations. But what then you say to enter, to really enter into a dialogue? Come on. I mean, we don't give two turtle doves about your dialogue. We just want you to enforce canon law. Not, not enter into any dialogue. You want to enter in a dialogue, do it in a confession booth. Dialogue right before the act of contrition. In a confession booth. That's where you dialogue, sir. In the confession booth concerning this issue. Now I'm continues. That the bishops must acknowledge the difficulty of the work that they, the politicians, do in the personal sacrifices made by people serving in public life. Stop! Stop again! It, it, it's striking. It's striking how tone deaf the bishops are. Again, we don't give five golden rings about the personal sacrifices that the politicians make in the light of the sacrifice that Christ Jesus made on the cross. They don't get their spits on his sacrifice in light of some commitment they made to be compulsive liars or duplicitous souls or indifferent to the truth or to their political party. What, what is that sacrifice in light of the sacrifice that Christ made? There is no need for you to acknowledge their difficulty, their difficult work as politicians, or to use that as some sort of bargaining chip or an excuse for them to blaspheme against the work of God. 
the work of creation, the work of the cross. I mean, the audacity of now I'm here to prioritize the world over the kingdom of God. But he continues. I mean, his, his trivial and idolatrous diatribe saying, Bishops should, I quote here, Bishops should acknowledge the areas where we agree with them and where we appreciate their support for the church's vision on the dignity of the human person. But be not afraid to fulfill our obligation to let them know how serious the issue is. Most reverend. I mean, we the faithful, your sheep. I mean, we're just asking just one basic thing. We're asking a lot. We're not asking for a dialogue. We're not asking for you to understand their difficulty and their sacrifices. We're not asking for any of that. The request is just simple. The ask is just one simple thing that we, the faithful, your sheep are asking. And we don't give 10 lords a leaping about anything you're saying here. And honestly, I don't even know what you're saying. All I want and all we want is for you to enforce canon law, 915, 916. And the fact that you would then say if if the Catholics in Congress in both parties all supported the church's teaching, we would have supermajorities in both houses. I mean, that right there just thusly demonstrates that you're just utterly oblivious to the demonic presence in politics at large and in the Democratic Party specifically, most uniquely. And until you do. I mean, yeah, I guess you just continue to be a bad shepherd, right? I mean, there, there's no way to lead sheep being this blind. Uh, it just seems difficult, you know. And really, that's all I know about that. The 12 Days of Christmas, you know, is, is really a great catechetical song that I, I think I just completely distorted to bring your attention to an important point. But this is the David L. Gray Show. Voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Right after the break, Ms. Anna Githens will be back on the show to pick up our conversation about the theology of the body. Thank you. University of Dallas presents What can I do that is the definite service that God wants me to give to the world? Think of the, the challenges that we have coming from our culture. We really need the virtue of courage. Are you ready to put yourself into the hazard? Are you ready to say yes to the call? Are you ready to be a witness to love? The Quest, airing every day this week at 4.30 p.m. Central on EWTN. Visit quest.udallas.edu. You know, this is your Catholic radio station, and we'd like to make it even better for you. Your feedback is really important to us. Just go to our website, grnonline.com, and look for the button labeled 60-second radio survey. It only takes a minute to fill out and send it to us. Again, go to our website, grnonline.com, and look for the button labeled 60-second radio survey. We'd really appreciate it. 
Did you know that the church dedicates the entire month of November to the holy souls in purgatory and that we can gain a plenary indulgence all month for loved ones who have passed away? This is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network with this week's GRN Family Minute. A plenary indulgence offered for a deceased loved one will remove all temporal punishment due to their sin, which can assist them to be released from purgatory and enter the glory of heaven. In a typical year, the church only grants such plenary indulgences during the first eight days of the month of November. But this year, the church has extended this opportunity until the end of the month. Anyone who visits the cemetery to pray for the dead this month will receive the plenary indulgence as long as the usual conditions for the indulgence are met. You must be detached from sin, pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, and receive the sacraments of the Eucharist and confession within 20 days before or after the indulgence. It's a beautiful gift we can offer to our deceased loved ones this month. Welcome back in to the David R. Gray Show, Voice and Truth and Reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Thanks for everybody who's tuning in on the live streams. I really appreciate your feedback, and I thank my producer, Sissel, for making all that happen. I know it's arduous work, but she's phenomenal, always gets it done. And my friend is back. Anna Githens, our, our resident theologian, um, theology of the body expert and theologian. She is from New Jersey, earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from Providence College, a master's degree in theology from Seton Hall, and has worked her way through a certificate certification program in the theology body at the Institutes for Theology Body in Pennsylvania. And we'll talk more about that later, about some of the courses, offerings they have there, some of the professors, and so we're excited to talk about that. And and if you didn't remember, she was here um, September 8th. And I'd like you to go back and listen to that show. If this is your first time meeting Anna, go back and listen to that show. She talks a lot about her, her um, how she encountered Christ, that drew her deeper back into the Catholic Church. And we're going to kind of pick up that conversation where we left off. Welcome back on to the David O'Gray Show, Anna. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny. So Anna, she emails me a few days ago and just making sure everybody knows how I murder people's names and words, (laughs) um, especially outside of English. And um, so she's like, oh, yeah, remember this, how you pronounce my name? And I thought it was funny. I was like, hey, look, she gave me some examples. And I was like, look, I went to a really small college. Your examples are like not helping me. But um, as you see, she went to much better schools than I did. She's really smart. Oh, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I was just trying to be helpful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. You're so nice. If you no want to call in, speak with Anna, anything about the theology of the body, call in at 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. And if you're commenting on the streams, I'll, um, myself and Cecil would try to see anything that you typed into um, the streams if you do have a, have a question. And so... And I remember back in September, we touched on a little bit about who you were before you encountered Christ more deeply. And you had that, um, you heard him speak to you. And I think he said, be real, correct? Be real. And, but you, at the time, you're a wife, a mom of sons, still a mom of sons. Mm -hmm. And touched a little bit about 
how you coming deeper into your faith and learning more about your faith that you learn more about your calling and who you and some of the mistakes that you you, you say you made let's mm-hmm. let's pick up there more specifically about just marriage what have you learned about marriage since yeah. then well first i'll say that you know god's idea of being real um is much different than our idea um it took me a while to realize that you know we think being real is being you know sincere or down to earth and god's idea of being real is you know be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and it took me a while to understand that but you know we're all called to strive to be saints and the most real people on earth or who once lived on earth are saints yeah so you know you have this idea going forward and and, you know god's ways and thoughts are much higher than our ways and thoughts so i learned that over time but um you know so since my my divorce and conversion because they kind of happened at the same time um i have a much deeper understanding of the sacredness of the marital covenant and the indissoluble bond um, between husband and wife in union with God. And this understanding really came in large part from studying TOB and also from the grace of God. So, you know, it was after having a full examination of conscience and, you know, knowing yourself involves asking God to reveal to you your shortcomings, which is not easy. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, be careful what you wish for and really be careful what you, what realize what you're praying for, because God will answer your prayers, right? Yeah. In his time. So. And and different than how you expect them, right? Like what you pray for, oftentimes you, you may get, but Mm, not how you expect it right exactly so but it's it's good i did this and i continue to and i think it's necessary to grow you know to to just continually have that examination of conscience um i used to think that my husband bore most of the faults in my marriage and god revealed to me how wrong that thinking was yeah. And, you know, it was hard to really um, grasp that and accept it. You know, the more we pray, the more we, we come to see as God sees. And he enables us to see as he sees. So, and really, I discovered um, that love never dies. Yeah. You know, love never fails. I mean, we, we often fail, but love never fails. Yeah. So no matter how bad things get. You know, there's an eternal dimension to love and, you know, God's marital covenant is very real and a very serious thing. Um, And the love you share with your spouse, if authentic at one time, it forms like an imprint in your soul, you know? And can you unpack that a little bit? Because I was was speaking, that's, man, it's it's so amazing that you bring this up. I was speaking to someone think yesterday last night after the conference um a friend who i met there genevieve and we were talking about you know past you know past lives whatever and Mm -hmm. i was explaining to her how 
um, you know, after my my wife who, you know, I married in college, you know, she divorced me. But um during that process, that two year span, you know, of me trying to keep the marriage together, I was talking about how I had learned to love her in a way that I think she always deserved to be loved. And I think it was so true and authentic. I wish I was able always I wish I was able I was always capable of of loving her that way, but it was so pure and it, it didn't want anything back. It was just it's just I don't describe it as just like perfect love. And then, yeah, it's true. I think I still love her in that way. Not of course as a spouse, but it's just, I love her. Right. So unpack that a little bit. How, how's that even possible? Cause people want to connect love with marriage. Isn't that a TV show? Love and marriage. Love and marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, how is what even possible? Yeah. That you can love someone that you're not, you can love someone perfectly like that, but you're not no longer married to them. Well, I don't think we're capable of really loving perfectly. Um, you know, Fulton Sheen said it takes three to get married. Yeah. Um, husband, wife, and God. And, you know, tr true love is Trinitarian. Um, it's supposed to model the Trinity and we need God in our marriage. We need to put Christ in the center of our marriage. I mean, I mean, I would say to anyone considering divorce, if um, for some reason you're not able to give love or receive love from your spouse, hmm. give your love to God, you know, pour your heart out to him. He will always be there. And he will draw you into him because he is the ultimate unifier of persons. He will draw you and your spouse spouse together through him mm. if it's his will. Right. And, you know, it's, our God is a God of miracles and, but miracles require waiting on God's perfect timing. And that's a big problem today, at least for me, you know, is impatience, <laughs> you know, we want, <laughs> We want a solution and we want it now. We want answers. Yeah. We want them now. But that's not how God works. You know, he, he, we have to give him time to work on ourselves, to work on your spouse and to work on you. Yeah. And we have, you know, this thing called free will. So it doesn't happen overnight. Right. So it's waiting is a big part of it. Yeah. But, you know, the person I am today would would not have chosen divorce. And, you know, that's in large part of prayer, you know, yeah. theology of the body studies. Um, you know, going to theology of the body, it really taught me that I don't have to be afraid to open my heart and go deeper with God. Um, and to really, you know, uncover why I've made choices in my life and maybe why I didn't live up to um, everything I should have lived, lived up to. Yeah. But do you think it was reasonable though? Like I remember earlier you were talking about initially you had, you know, you're pointing the finger outward, you know, you're saying, well, he was the problem. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me. <laughs> and I think that's a natural response sometimes 
You know, there's some right. things that goes into that, you know, pride, sometimes the lack of self-reflection, um, wanting to blame others so you don't have to be, come, um, be accountable, that you won't have to be the one that has to change, right? So right. there's a lot of things that go into that. But um, is it ever okay to be like, oh, yeah, that it was their failings as well. Do we always have to take everything on ourselves? No, I don't, you know, that that's not really what I'm saying. I'm, I mean, of course it takes two and mm -hmm. no one's perfect. And each one of you has your faults and each one of you has your positive attributes that you bring to the marriage. Um, but it's, it's that self gift that's needed. That's selfish, um, selfless, love um and that patience we need to have um in waiting on our spouse you know we all have our own personal journeys yeah. and we're not always at the same place on our faith journey yeah so and i mean this is you know not a, a judgment or a condemnation of anyone who's made the decision to divorce i mean how could i you know ever judge from that from where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it's just maybe I just want to share that after, you know, it's about 12, 13 years out, you have a real different, wider perspective of things. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your journey so much. I mean, especially, I mean, obviously you're, you're Catholic, so we just have a different approach to to the subject of the marriage itself, you know, whether you seek an annulment or, um, um, or not. Right. And speaking to someone, man, not that long ago, someone who was married and their, their spouse abandoned him, you know, just left. And, you know, right. she's just still, it was, yeah, it was Bay. She's still, um, just living her life just as a spouse. And that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. So everyone has a different, journey like you said what i love about yours is that you know a lot of people rather than just re self-reflecting and spending that time you know we just go jump into another situation right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it never really flushed that stuff out and so you take that all that those unreconciled issues into the next marriage then you have to you know then you have to sort you know sort that out you know if you got an annulment so but but part of that, though, would you call that that period? I mean, is that what John Paul II was talking about when he's talking about original solitude? Could you unpack that a little bit and how that relates? Yeah, well, first, you know, just in light of what you just said, I want to say I think divorce really is a symptom of a much deeper problem. And it's a problem that I think is more personal to the individual as opposed to the couple. But then it's brought into the marriage. I mean, we have, I think... A plague that's worse than COVID, in my opinion. It's more of a crisis of identity. Wow. And, you know, studying TOB made this very clear to me. I mean, this post enlightenment, modern rationalism, dualism that Pope John Paul II was so concerned about, um, it's harmed our concept of self. And, you know, we've forgotten who we are, we've forgotten. We are unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable children of God. Um, John Paul II said, we are someone thought of and chosen from eternity. Someone called and identified by name. So 
we need to, you know, theology of the body, what it does is it teaches us how to be whole again. Okay. And going back, you know, what you were talking about is uh, original solitude. Um, we touched upon, you know, in the beginning, the last time I was on the show. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus appeals to the beginning twice when the Pharisees approach him about divorce. So he's, you know, he's leading them to look to the beginning. The beginning is the time of man's original innocence before original sin, before the fall. And original solitude is the first moment um, of the first man when after God created him, it has to do with man's aloneness before there was any reference to sex or gender. And the first man is identified as man only after the creation of the first woman. Oh. So the gender identities did not exist before the creation of the first woman. And this is the Yahwist account that Pope John Paul is talking about in the second creation account. So when God speaks the words about solitude, he's re referring to the solitude of the man, male and female, and not only with the solitude of male caused by the absence of woman. Mm. And the problem of solitude shows itself in the second creation account. Um, and the man, you know, when we get to Genesis chapter two, verse 19, the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. John Paul II says, here, man gains consciousness of his own superiority. Man is a rational animal, and this distinguishes him from all the other animals and plants, etc., that God had made. But the man did not find a help similar to himself. And man finds himself alone before God. This is his moment of self-discovery and recognizes his own dissimilarity before all the visible creatures, all the living beings to which he had given their names. So John Paul II says self-knowledge goes hand in hand with the knowledge of the world. And Genesis provides witness of how man distinguishes himself before God from the whole world of living beings and how he consequently reveals himself to himself and affirms himself as a person All right. in the presence of God. And we're speaking with Miss Anna Gethins. We're here speaking about the theology of the body. If you have a question about what we're talking about, um, someone in the comment box does seen a song, Love and Marriage. But if you have a question about love and marriage or original solitude or a question about theology body, please chime in. Call 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. Or just chime in on the live streams. And, I, I, yeah, oh, man, original solitude, I like the way you unpack that, is it really gets my imagination going, like, theologically. Because I can, I can see Adam there and he's seen all these different animals who are completely unlike him right right and maybe seeing them have babies or whatever and see just growing in this knowledge that he's completely different than them 
but Anna, most most people are not going to live in the jungle or in wildlife or have this opportunity to realize how their humanity is different um, right. or superior, as as you you know pointed out. And but how how did that how does that happen? Does it happen in in high school when I don't know you're in band and you realize you're a little bit different than the people on the track team or something like that? I mean, how how does how do you realize? How do you experience this if you don't have if you don't go through that suffering where you're where you're set apart or you're alone? Well, that's a good question, and um, I think we all, to some degree, need that time, like the first man, alone before God, to really come to understand ourselves and know ourselves, know who we are, know our gifts and talents, you know, know who God is calling us to be, our vocation. Um, you know, God says, I know I, the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And, you know, we need to sit in prayerful silence with him um, more so than I think what most are doing today. I mean, you know, myself included, it took me a while to get there where you re really need to establish that alone time with God, you know, whether it be in the morning or in the evening, okay. it's so ne necessary. You know, we have to tune out, you know, unplug everything um, because this culture, you know, is pulling us in all different directions. So, but, you know, John Paul II says original solitude includes both self-consciousness and self-determination. So man is created in the image of God here, and it's the first primeval covenant with God, where he becomes, you know, subject of the covenant and partner of the absolute. So man's original solitude is linked with the awareness of his own body. So that's you know, we could also apply that to our own lives. That his 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 awareness of his 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 awareness of who he is is connected to his body. That he's exactly okay. So spiritual spiritual awareness and consciousness of the body go hand in hand. Mm. You know, our body and spirit is one. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, we spent we spent a whole lot of time. <laughs> Sorry, there yeah. just yeah, it's about just about the yeah, the nature of the, of the body itself. I'm sure we'll get there at least on this episode or another, because that's yeah, that's yeah, that, that's that's a profound reality that one must recognize that they are an embodied soul, and how how does my body interact with the world, right? That, exactly. that God has placed me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know what's concerning today when you were talking about earlier is um, a lot of these quote unquote Catholic pro-choice politicians. You know, when I when I look at um or I hear what they say, how they say they're personally pro-choice. They're they're pro personally pro-life, but they believe they should be pro-choice because it's it's they don't have the right to tell another woman to what to do with her body. Right. I just sometimes can't get over how they can compartmentalize their beliefs in their head. You know, they just, they put them into a compartment and shut them off, basically, mm -hmm. from themselves, you know, and it, 
I once listened to a series of talks by a really amazing priest. They were called From Fragmentation to Wholeness. And he was saying that there's this disconnect from the mind and the heart. And even though they're inches apart, it's the longest journey in the world. You know, having your beliefs <laughs> go from your head to your heart. We live in our heads today. You know, we, le we need to live more in our hearts. Interesting. And, you know, there needs to be that, that connection. And it's, it's, you need to own your beliefs. So, I mean, it's not easy, but that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live as whole persons in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that goes back to how you started off. I mean, the, the, the conversation today about being real. I mean, cause we live in a world and that throws the term around, you know, people always say, got to keep it real or, <laughs> or they use another one saying, Oh, you know, they're the truth. All right. What, what they're, what they're doing, but it seems to be just always pretentious. It's never seems to be the real self. It seems to be, a representative in the world that that puts out a face this is who i is you know is it's a degree of narcissism involved in it sometimes that um this is who i want the world to recognize me as and see me as this is who i want to be known as real but it's always just surface and it's always tied to you know selfish ambitions and, or you know personal interests and things like that rather than than um the community of god's people because i know you're probably gonna get there but yeah you know, we have that period of original solitude, but then we have to return back to the community that we were created for because we weren't created for that solitude, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so continuing on, um, Genesis 1 does not mention the problem of man's original solitude because man is male and female from the beginning. And then God says, it's not good that man should be alone. I want to make him a help similar to himself and at the same time the first man confirms his own solitude you know the man gave names to all the cattle the birds of the air but for the man there was not found a helper fit for him so john paul ii um, then talks about how the lord god you know when he caused torpor to fall upon the man then he took one of the ribs and formed a woman he said that sleep is not so much a passage of unconscious to subconscious, but a specific return to non-being or to the moment before creation. So in order that the solitary man may by God's creative initiative reemerge from that moment in his double unity as male and female. And he says, there's no doubt that the man falls into this torpor with a desire of finding a being similar to himself. Wow. So, wow. you know, we can deduce that without this being, you know, there is a lack and the woman is desired and needed and wanted as a help. Wow. And this, this desire originating, you know, from man in his, in his solitary condition and authenticated by God is um, eradicated by the creation of the woman. Wow. And that's in, what, what, um, and what, um, lecture is, does that drawn out of the torpor? Which talk was that? Um, 
it's towards the beginning. I mean, it's, it's, it's wow. I like that. So there's a big <laughs> Miss Anna Githens here about the theology of the body. Man, that was so profound. Cause I just realized when you, you reading that, you saying, stating that was that mm -hmm. Adam hadn't, he had named all the other animals, but he didn't even name himself. Right. <laughs> he didn't name himself yet. It seems to be, and I know you get to that. The first person, you know, he, he, he deems to a human being, he deems a name is, you know, he says, this is woman. Right. So, and we have a caller on a line, Samson, uh, calling in from San Antonio. And he had a, a question or a comment regarding Catholic politicians. And I'll bring him on. Welcome Hi. to the David O. Grayso, Samson. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I'm enjoying the conversation very much, and when it shifted to uh, the the worry of um, Catholic politicians not practicing their faith, I guess my my comment, and I'm interested in your thoughts, is that um, these politicians have put their party ideology above god and their religion and in doing so they uh, cut themselves off from god's graces and it's like they're in a a, a spiral of um destroying themselves and they're not even really aware of it anymore I've, I've heard that the same is true for the devil and satan that he cut himself off from god and now he's lost for eternity, not even realizing that he's mm. been cut off. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of angst over these Catholic politicians, but I've kind of stopped worrying about it and just kind of praying for it. And hopefully that some, somehow uh, they find their way back to doing, you know, what they were put on earth for uh, and not uh, putting a, a party above their God. Uh, but that seems to be the problem in America, I think. So y'all's thoughts I'd be uh, really interested in, and then I'll I'll just hang up and listen in. But thank y'all so much. Yeah, Samson, so much. Appreciate you calling in with that that comment and that question. The duplicity, right? Because I think that may relate to what we're talking about, um, the real self and the false self that we find some politicians living the fake life. Is there some way to understand just that duplicity through the theology of the body, Anna? Yeah, you know, we need to notice um, the true self, you know, the one God calls us to be, not the false ego self, which pulls us away from God. Um, you know, when, when there's a disconnect that exists, which appears to be the case in these pro-choice, quote-unquote, Catholic politicians, you know, there's a disconnect between the mind and the heart or the intellect and the will we make choices that are not truly our own because we don't really know ourselves. Um, oh. We don't really know who we are. You know, the mind dictates actions without any guidance from the will. And, you know, when the intellect and the will are, are severed, they don't grow together. So wow. that's a problem. Um, and, you know, I understand how pro-life Catholics and Christians around the world are just at their wits end um it's you know we're on par with china and north korea in terms of you know late-term abortion and mm -hmm. something has to be done i mean you know 
the pro-choice politicians are going to have to answer to God. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love how you explained that, um, that war between the intellect and the will and just the knowing, knowing the self, right? If you don't, basically mm -hmm. you, you essentially said that if you don't know yourself, um, and you're just living a false self, it leads to bad decisions, right? Uh, more, okay. more likely to lead to consistently bad decisions. And so I guess we're returning back. We keep returning back to the same point about the, the point of original solitude and the point, the, the, the importance of coming into mm -hmm. the knowledge of self and how Adam, um, you're walking us through his journey and how um, God gives him a, a sedative to put him to sleep. And he wakes up with a phone that with Tinder app on it. Correct. Was that how the story went? With, can you repeat that? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. yeah. God gave him a sedative to put him to sleep anesthesia. And then he woke up with a smartphone with the Tinder app. <laughs> no, that's no, I'll that's not like how that went. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and then, you know, the first man expresses joy for the first time when he sees the woman for the first time. He says, at last, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And Pope John Paul II says it's, if you can call it the first emotion in the Bible. Um, so the woman was wanted and needed by the first man. And Pope John Paul says, man becomes the image of God, not only through his own humanity, but also through the communion of persons, which man and woman form from the very beginning. So the one flesh is not the call to the joining of bodies, but to the communion of persons, when they unite with each other so closely to become one flesh, John Paul says, man and woman rediscover every time and in a special way the mystery of creation and thus returning to the unity in humanity wow so so the so the two become one flesh and so this is a perfect uh, a unity that's perfected through their relationship with christ exactly mm-hmm and, you know, here he talks about now the spousal meaning of the body. So every man, by virtue of his masculinity, is called in some way to be both a husband in self-gift and a father. By virtue of her femininity, is called to be a wife uh, in self-gift and a mother to bear fruit, you know, regardless of your vocation in life. Um, it, you know, applies to religious, um, single, married, lay persons. And, and Christ's words about celibacy show that this for, this being a gift for the other, can also inspire a person to make a, a gift for the kingdom, the gift of self for the kingdom. Uh -huh. And, you know, the priest is a father, that is his identity. And I know that sometimes Protestants have a problem calling priests father, but it's right. it's his identity, um, and the church is his bride. So you know it means that every human being, regardless of their state of life to which God has called us, is called to that deepest vocation, which is written right into his or her being, to a spousal relationship, 
and to bring new life, fatherhood and motherhood. And it will be all done in different ways, in different states of life. Um, you know, marriage is something that's written right into our humanity, you know, and it's raised to a whole new state of grace through the gift of the sacrament of marriage. Yeah. Now we really got to get the love, fall in love with just our created self of who God made us. I mean, just falling in love with who we were created to be. I think that would just solve or help to solve so many, many things, Anna. And I am Patty B. She says, you made a great point. <clears throat> um, politicians claim they can't put their person, personal beliefs aside. And she asked you, Anna, how are we supposed to elect someone who doesn't live or vote according to personal convictions? Um, just a, a regular friend. Oh, and we have, and I'm sorry, we have 20 seconds. Oh, well, <laughs> you know what I try to do is, um, I never forget where I came from. You know, I always remember that I have to have patience because others have had patience with me. God has had incredible patience with me. Um, and we, you know, we should gently encourage someone to, go deeper with their beliefs and to be be a friend to them you know Amen. anna giftens takes a look at the calendar of our show to make sure you tune in next time she's back make sure you stay tuning in thanks so much anna and thanks for tuning in i'll be back same time next week it'll be a recorded show next week but i look forward to conversing with you again then in the between time, you can visit me at davidogray.info. But until then, until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And again, fall in love with your created self. But until then, until next time, may the Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you. Thank you. Keeping you informed and inspired. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time. 